I love walking with uh, and working with teenagers. I, so some people can't fathom why I do, but I really do. I do enjoy it. Um, and all of the time, I'm thinking back to when I was one of them, when I was 11 to 18, and when I was experiencing my journey of secondary school. And one of the things that I um, came upon as I was thinking about this sermon was you really are a different person by the time you finish secondary school, aren't you? To the little year seven who arrived there scared being in the smallest in the school to being the tallest, maybe even the most popular. I certainly was incredibly funny. And, you know, you're a different person, aren't you? The 12, the 12 disciples have been on a journey of transformation like that. At this point, even though we're halfway through the Gospel of Luke, in chapter 9, they're experiencing a lot of opportunity for transformation. Because we'd said before, didn't we, that chapter 9 of Luke has been all about teaching them what it means to be ambassadors of Jesus. That's why it started with the mission and the message and displaying the kingdom as miracles are done and proclaiming the kingdom um, after miracles are done and explaining exactly why they were done. At the end of this chapter, Jesus, in the last verse we read, verse 51, shows us the hinge of the book. So we're nearing kind of the halfway point here and we're going to pause and maybe do a little tour in Leviticus again. But in verse 51, it says, Jesus resolutely sets his face towards Jerusalem. And he's going to go there, and he knows exactly what he's going to go to do. Because as Andy reminded us this morning, Luke chapter 9, he will have told them three times, he will go there because he must suffer for our sins and die. And so our first big idea is, given what the disciples have just seen in the healing of this Boy, he's been given back to his father, as George told us last week. Given all this stuff, here is a danger. Don't confuse right now with not yet. Don't confuse right now with what's to come. I'm going to explain that to you, and we're in the first verses. Look at how our passage starts in verse 43. Look at it again with me. Have your Bible open. They're all amazed at the greatness of God, in healing this boy through Jesus, while everyone was marveling, while they were amazed, while they were marveling, there was a danger there. Jesus says something to the disciples. It wasn't long ago that I first experienced being so immersed in a video game that I played all night because my parents did not supervise me. It's just kind of parents, you know, they're very lax, free-range kids. And I could see the sun just rising, but I was so immersed that it was a surprise to me. I just, oh my goodness, I've been playing all night. Wow, that was a good investment. You know, actually, I didn't pay for it. It was pirated. It was before I was a Christian. But you just imagine being so immersed in something, you can't see anything else. In chapter 9, the disciples have seen a lot of stuff. They're immersed in miracle after miracle after healing and exorcism and all of that stuff. And that's just what's before their eyes, okay? That's what's happening right now. 
we've just finished seeing the restoration of a father-son relationship. Beautiful. But Jesus says, here's something you mustn't forget. Just because I'm showing you what the kingdom is like now, people here, all of this amazing stuff, you mustn't forget there is suffering ahead. Suffering for me, Jesus says, for your sins. Suffering for you if you want to follow me. So let's read that again. Verse 43. They were all amazed at the greatness of God, and while everyone was marveling at all that Jesus did, he said to his disciples, listen carefully to what I'm about to tell you. The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. But they did not understand what this meant. It was hidden from them, so they did not grasp it, and they were afraid to ask him about it. When was the last time someone put both hands on your shoulders and said, listen carefully? Okay? Earlier in my marriage, Megan had to do that because she knew that that was the only way to make sure I was listening to something really important. Like, tomorrow this person will call, and if we don't pick up, the border agency will kick you out of this country. Are you listening carefully? Literally, in the Greek, Jesus says, Put these words in your ears that I'm going to say now. So he says that while everyone was marveling, it was important for them to know the good reputation that we may have with the people I've performed miracles, the good reputation that you guys may have right now as you go and perform miracles in the mission. That's not the end. That isn't the whole story. Your temptation might be to lose sight of God's bigger plan of salvation and to think that it's just going to be amazing like this all the time. But no, Jesus says, the Son of Man, hearkening right back to Daniel chapter 7, he must, before he's given dominion, glory, and a kingdom, he must die. So they need to be reminded of that. Because if you and I were people who read this, the Old Testament scriptures and we were there around Jesus, when we saw what Jesus just did, healing people, we would have gone, oh, the kingdom is like this? There's nobody sick in it? It's fantastic. That's wonderful. And Jesus is like, yeah, I'm showing you a snapshot, but it's not going to be like this forever because I still got to die. When we see 5,000 people being fed, we go, wow, nobody goes hungry in this kingdom? That's amazing. I'm never going to go hungry again. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Jesus says, don't confuse now with not yet. This kingdom where nobody goes hungry, you'll see a glimpse of it now, but you trust in me and I will make it happen fully in the future. So he says in verse 21, he must suffer, be rejected, and killed, and says it again. If you had read Old Testament passages like Daniel chapter 7, you would have heard Jesus say he's going to die, and it would have been one in, in one ear, out the other. Okay? For the same reason that I struggled with being lied to in secondary school. Again, forgive the secondary school, you know, illustrations. I'm a youth worker. But one of the most frustrating things about growing up and experiencing secondary school was the amount of times my teachers lied to me. Not least in my favorite subject, English. So you, you're learning another language. Where do you start in verb tenses? Simple present. Simple present. What kind of time is the simple present about? Now. The present, right? So if I say, if I say, I respect you. When do I do that? Now, if I say, I do what I want, when is that happening? Now. If I say, I arrive next week, when is that happening? 
You've been lied to. Lied to. So frustrating. The simple present can be about the future. But you've just been working really hard, really hard, and it doesn't come easy to most of us. A second language, you've been learning all the rules. When you have them sussed out in your mind, simple present, I know what this is about. In comes a curveball, and all of a sudden, it's not about that anymore. A new layer of understanding that might take a whole academic year <laughs> for you to absorb. If you're a disciple of Jesus, here's the layer of understanding. Like the simple present, okay? Any prophecy about the Messiah, he comes, and he's going to do it all. He's going to do it all. He's going to bring in the kingdom. He's going to kick out the Romans. He's going to vanquish all of God's enemies. He's going to um, just prove God's people to be right because they were believing in the one true God. It's, now, all of a sudden, Jesus is saying the simple presence about the future. Actually, he's saying, I'm coming, but I've come to die. I'm going to rescue you by dying. The prophecies in Daniel and other places, my second coming. That's hard. And then Luke now speaks about the disciples the way that he speaks about people who don't even know Jesus. Normally, it's the religious leaders who don't know Jesus. They don't get it, right? But here, it's the disciples who didn't understand. The disciples from whom the meaning was hidden. The disciples who didn't grasp God's big salvation plan. And we have a similar danger. We look and marvel at what Jesus is doing, maybe at Walton Church, maybe in your life. And we can be tempted, and forgive me for thinking, this is it. This is my best life now. Like, this is just fantastic, okay? And it's easy to forget that in other places in the New Testament, like 1 Peter chapter 1, he says, you will suffer for a little while, and only then, in eternity with Jesus, there is no more. So for Jesus, at this moment in God's salvation history, the next step is for him to die. And the next step is for the disciples to remember God's salvation plan doesn't just include miracles and healings. Now I wonder, what are some of the things that you and I see God doing that we're marveling at that make us forget? Guys, we're still living for the renewed heavens and earth. This isn't all there is. Sometimes we forget that. Maybe we forget that when we feel that the church is growing, that there are encouraging activities, that we've got, you know, a new phone, a new uh, a healthy family or healthy relationships, or that um, my family are doing fantastic. Or, I don't know, things maybe for the first time just calm down for a bit, and we forget and we think, yeah, this is all there is to my life. And Jesus says, put these words in your ears. The pattern is like this. Suffering before glory. And so that first section here refocuses us on the mission of Jesus. And later on when Jesus says, if you want to follow me, it's like this. I've rescued you so that you'll follow the same pattern. You will suffer as you follow me. But that's the right thing. I will be with you. Jesus is now going to pay the very price that George reminded us last week, 1 John 3, 8, to destroy the works of the devil. And what that's going to involve is human beings, the hands of men, betraying him. And we look at that, and if you're a Christian tonight, you're going, I'm one of those guys. 
Not because I was there 2,000 years ago, but because I know that Jesus also died for my sin. So don't mistake the now, the goodness, the blessing for the not yet. We still look forward to that in our second heading. Don't mistake comparison for greatness. Don't mistake comparison for greatness. We can see that the 12 apostles aren't really getting it, the mission of Jesus, because like I told you before, they have one layer of understanding. It's really hard to just change that. And now they're arguing. And they go right back to the things that you and I do every day. We measure ourselves. And so they're thinking about their own greatness, going right back to what they know. Imagine that conversation. Just walking up the road, James and Peter. And James is like, yes, Peter. But the demon I cast out was way crazier than the one you cast out. I must be greater, surely. Peter is like, yes, but did you see how many people got healed when I prayed? Surely that is a greater thing. Maybe you can imagine James saying, mate, listen, you had to touch that leper. I just spoke and they were healed. Surely that is greater. That's, what, that's how we think, isn't it? We can understand with that. Do you not compare yourself sometimes to other people? I think you do. I know I do. This is the thing about comparison. We can never focus on wanting to be great. We've got to be greater than another person. The way that I think about greatness and that you and I think about greatness, I can't just be a good doctor. I've got to be a better doctor, greater doctor than Ian Roberts. It's difficult, isn't it? Some might say impossible. But that's how we do greatness. There's no other conception in our mind. There can be no contentment. But the disciples had to learn, as we have to learn, how to become Christ-like. That is true and real greatness. So the alternative to just comparison is contentment in seeking to be like him. That's greatness. Now, when I'm bored and I'm just um, trolling through YouTube videos, for some reason the algorithms think that I need motivational videos, okay? I guess they just kind of go, oh, you know, somehow we find out that he's an assistant pastor, he must be a loser. Give him some motivational videos, so lift him up, okay? Here is one of them. I want you to listen to it and just, I don't know, what do you think about that as an idea of greatness, okay? Go for it. I am the greatest. Greatness is not all. It's made. But I think people can choose to be not ordinary. I think it's possible for ordinary people to choose to be extraordinary. Greatness is what reveals itself when you carefully articulate and live out what you believe to be true. It just happens. Greatness is not this godlike feature that only the special among us taste. Greatness truly exists in all of us. Greatness is being happy. Greatness is achieving something or striving to achieve something that is going to inspire people or that is going to help people. Greatness is about living a life that is true to yourself. 
Greatness is standing apart from those around you and distinguishing yourself. Greatness, I define it as someone that they leave such a legacy behind that people look up to them and they really are inspirational to so many. Keep investing and keep betting on yourself. Build your own stage and make them see you. First of all, it's the talent, but of course the ethic of work. In today's world, you have to transcend, you have to do something different, you have to show your uniqueness. Don't, don't be a copycat. Don't be second best to somebody. America is already great. Before you even become number one, start to proclaim it and say it long before it happened. And the world said exactly what I said. I spoke it, the world heard it, and it activated. I am the captain of my ship and the master of my fate. If I don't say it, if I don't believe it, no one else will. But Jesus said, Whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be your slave. I wonder what you think. I almost want to just pause and say, tell the person next to you what you thought. Some of you I could see smirking. You're going, no way. How, can, how painful it would be to live like this. Staying true to yourself so you make you great. What pressure. Who tells you the truth about yourself so that you can be true to yourself? It's about standing apart and distinguishing yourself. When? For how long? How do you know you've done enough? Being inspirational to other people? Often in so much of history is you going against the tide because other people don't want to do the right thing. Keep betting on yourself. Make them see, oh, how masterful. He just pulled Hitler out of a hat in that clip. And you just go, oh, this is bad. We shouldn't want to be like this. The way that Jesus looks at the disciples and he is going to define greatness doesn't invite comparing with other human beings but invites them to move towards the character the winsome the beautiful character of jesus regardless of what other human beings think so greatness jesus is going to see is defined not by comparing but by the king of the kingdom so what is greatness in the kingdom jesus says he's a child let me explain to you but before he does let me tell you, people are very confused by the fact that I delight in working with children and in working with teenagers. I think the reason that they are confused by this is because of the lack of worth of children and teenagers, okay? Because they don't have much value, particularly children, okay? I don't believe this, but people around the time of Jesus did. Let me tell you exactly what they believed. I've come to appreciate this, okay? Reading ancient authors in a book called When Children Became People, which is a survey of what Greco-Roman authors thought about children up until um, when the church fathers were around after the time of Jesus. Here's what some of them said. Did you know what the word infant comes from two words, no speech. They're defined by what they can't do, okay? 
Children can't communicate properly, and because they can't reason, some Roman philosopher said, they're useless until they can prove their worth. They have zero self-control, the little tyrants, so that's not admirable. They are physically weak and more prone to sicknesses and illnesses. And then pre-Christian author um, Cicero says, the thing itself cannot be praised. He means a baby. The thing itself cannot be praised, only its potential. So a child is only worth something, a baby is only worth something for what it will become someday. First century philosopher Seneca, who is the founder of Stoicism, says that they are stubborn, but don't worry, you can overcome their stubbornness by beating them up. They will learn the right way because they're, they're, they're like a wax tablet where you use force to make them what they should be. And so Roman teachers would think they're not getting it, make them repeat it, and if they don't get it, cane them. Some teachers in the audience are going, I wish, good old days. But is it any surprise that when Jesus says, I'm going to explain to you what greatness is, that he chooses a child with no rights, a child, that he, a newborn, that if you didn't want, for example, any child up to 12, you could sell your daughter into slavery or prostitution. Um, you could, uh, about eight or nine days after your child is born, decide to perform the practice of expositio, which is just to let them die outdoors because you decided not to keep that child. Plutarch, another author, for example, says, a child who has not yet lost its umbilical cord, something he believes happens normally on the seventh day, is more like a plant than a human being. Let me ask you this. What is the value of a child in the first century? Nothing, right? They're not worth much. Go back to our passage, verse 48. Jesus places a child and says, whoever welcomes this little child in my name, on my behalf, whoever is hospitable to them, tells the gospel to them, whoever welcomes them, welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me, welcomes the one who sent me. For it is the one who is least among you who is the greatest. The idea of greatness being absolutely flipped upside down. Not just when I was a teenager, but even now. I want to be around the people who have the same status as me. Whether it's because I think they are as strong or fast as me, as clever as me, um, I don't know, as eloquent as I am. And I might be embarrassed if I'm around someone who is of a lower status to me. However society wants to see it. Maybe not as well dressed, maybe not as morally impressive. Here Jesus is saying, what makes someone in the kingdom of God great is if they are guided by a love for the broken image of God in any human being, whether it's children or adults, doesn't matter. And I just want to invite you to contrast this for a second. If you believe that we are and all that we are is the result of a blind, unguided evolutionary process, we can go right back to the value of a life is in what it will become. Can you see that connection? 
Can you see why it's so controversial, but it is how it is in the books that I read, that discussions about when a human being is human and when it's the right time to let someone die all seem to revolve around the same things that these first century authors believed. Do they have autonomy? Are they useful? Can they become anything? How different this is to Jesus saying, I've made human beings and I love them. Now I mention this because we need to highlight how controversial it is that Jesus is saying to love children because he's loving one of the most vulnerable groups in society. What I'm not saying is that we can fully understand the emotional and the psychological struggle of someone who has been faced with the issue of abortion or euthanasia. And I'm not saying that we want to condemn or judge any kind of person. But I am marveling with you at the love of God for a vulnerable person. Now, we've only got a few minutes to finish. So let's ask each other some questions. And if you want to chat some more, let's have coffee. But you and I got to think about these questions. If we welcome and seek the good of a vulnerable child, we welcome Jesus. What will make that kind of welcoming do to you? Verse 48 says, you become the least with them. You become the least. Jesus became a dirty man, hungry, thirsty, at the cross, certainly unpleasant to look at, abandoned by friends. He became all of that for us. And if we are his followers who have accepted his love, now you and I become willing to become the least because we associate with people that seem to the rest of the world a waste of time. Okay? I was thinking about this a lot this week. I'll give you a couple of examples in a minute. But we who were the lowest of the low, who had rejected God's love, he became the lowest one of us. So are we willing to maybe be kind of perceived by those people around us as losers because we are doing things that losers do because we love people? Who are you and I maybe tempted to think we are better than those people so we want to avoid them? If you are a child or young person, who is that loser in your school that nobody will talk to? You would be utterly embarrassed to talk to them. Maybe that's me when I go to your school. I don't know. But who is the dirty, the stinky, the one that nobody wants to be around? I was coming back from lunch from um, the Nichols house, and Megan and I saw that there was, a, there was a teenager just lying on the side of the road. So we stopped the car, and we went over there. And, and this 14-year-old, was drunk, um, in and out of consciousness, covered in his vomit, right? Is that something that you particularly love engaging with or is that, because you may be a different person to me, you know, you might just be like, oh, I would love just hugging, hugging tight. I'm like, I wouldn't because I am tempted to think I'm better. I'm not drunk. 
I earn money. I pay my taxes. I'm a good citizen. And at that moment, God reminded me again. I can never say I'm better than that 14-year-old. At all. At all. But I can love him. And I know that next time I maybe see them. I mean, are they going to remember who I am? No, they're not. Probably, right? Because they were mumbling as they were talking to me. Are they going to be able to repay anything I've done for them? No, of course not. Such are children and babies. When Jesus sets one child, using a Greek word that means probably it was younger than seven years old. Who is that person that cannot pay back your love that you want to invest in? I've learned tonight with you that the priorities of the kingdom of God and what is great is very different to what the world around us thinks is great. And it's painful. It's painful, right? So for some of the guys who I see at the gym, it's going to be painful for them to realize this. Some of the guys are massive. I mean, some of them, I think they almost can fly because their, their lats are so big. They do this, it's like these wings, you know? But here's the shocking thing. <clears throat> when the dudes are doing the thing, like whatever it is, like pull down, boom, you know, massive guys. And some of the other guys are just discreetly like, oh, I'm doing something awesome. Because they're doing this, they're like exercising over here, and they're just sort of, how much are they with me? What's going on, you know? That's greatness, greatness, okay? I said to Megan, my wife, I said, babe, what do you think about this? said, I don't care. I'm like, but someone can spend hours sculpting their body and look, for it to look great. She's like, well, it's not for me, I guess. It's, I don't really care. I'm happy with you. <laughs> An idea of greatness, so bizarre to the world that many people just can't ever get it because if they did, they would meet Jesus and love him. Because he is truly great, the one who dies for us. If you're not yet a Christian and you're sitting here, one of the accusations that people have against Christianity is that it's a tool for power or that it degrades people. I just want you to look at this passage and just see this. In a world where the worth of children and babies was zero, Jesus is the only dude who is saying, I made them, you need to love them, and if you can't love them, you have nothing to do with me. Jesus elevates the status of the vulnerable. I pray to you now, our God, help us to be like this, to be ready to be like this, Father. So as I finish, be ready. Be ready. If you're a Christian and you want to be like this, if I'm a Christian and I want to be like this, people won't get it, okay? They will not get it. You need to be ready to be rejected by those who actually seek impressiveness. You need to be ready to be told that, yes, you are wasting your life and your time with the people that you are hanging out with, the situations that you're getting into. 
but I want you to tell me this when I forget what I'm preaching on right now, which may be tomorrow. I'm a sinner. I want you to tell me this. Tiago, your king's opinion matters more. His concept of greatness matters more than anybody else's. Let this be your song, your compass, your banner. Live by this, Tiago. I pray that you will do that. So we're not going to confuse now with the kingdom to come. There is suffering to come. Don't just forget that. And we are going to see that greatness is in humility, in loving like this. Let's pray now before Ian tells us of our final song. Lord Jesus, thank you so much that you looked at us. We were, as the Book of Common Prayer reads, miserable offenders against your grace. People who did not know sons of disobedience, as Paul says, not caring, not knowing your great love for us, doing everything against you, and yet, in your greatness, you became less. You became one of us, Lord Jesus. And now, you call us to follow after you in that way, to die to ourselves. I pray, show us, please, to everyone who is here who trusts in you, show us the people that we would rather not engage with and give us the courage, the strength, the love to tell them about you, to display your love for them. Help us, please, because we are weak and we're not better than anybody, but we want to be great in the way that you want us to be, Christ-like. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.